Hi, Bert Alcorn here, lead pastor of Anthem Ventura. You're listening to the Anthem Ventura podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen and track with our teachings. The sermon you're about to hear has been prayed and labored over, and we really do hope you find this useful and an aid of your discipleship to Jesus. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about Anthem, visit us online at anthemventura.org, or you can download our mobile app from the iTunes or Google Play App Store. Enjoy the next hour or so. We have prayed that God would use it in profound ways in the lives of anyone that may hear it. Thanks so much. Uh, well, my wife and I, uh, my wife was here earlier today, but we've got four kids, so she went back home to be with them and, and take care of them. But we live down in L.A., and um, we've been there for about five years now. And I, because of L.A. traffic, I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts. And I was listening to a few podcasts this past week, and um, they're all about technology. And they're, I don't know if you've listened to podcasts about technology, but they tend to be really uh, spooky. Uh, they're all really creepy, like, what's next? And they're about robots basically taking over the world and data being implanted in your brain and then technology controlling us, and we're no longer in charge of technology. And, and I was listening to this one guy. That, he's the head of the MIT Media Lab, which is a really big deal in America. And uh, he was getting interviewed, and this one guy asked him, he's, he's hearing all these things, and he's like, so do you think democracy can survive this technology stuff you're talking about? And the guy was like, ah, oh, that's, uh, well, uh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow, right? And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. And so I, I happened to be driving. I was sitting in traffic. And, and right next to me, as I was listening to this one podcast, there's this white BMW SUV. And uh, there was this little red sticker on the back of it. And it said, no gods, no masters. And I was like, that's the reason why democracy will not survive. That has more to do with the demise of democracy than robot invasion 2.0 or whatever it's going to be. We, we are in trouble as a culture because what, what this lady was saying was, no one, I will submit to no one. No one in heaven or on earth has the authority to tell me what to do with my life. And I thought, wow. That is like, a, like an American flag on the back of her sticker, because I feel like we're all like that. Are we not? You feel like people are like super opposed to authority, don't want to submit to anyone or anything. It's like we are just, I mean, every other culture has been that way, that we've always been opposed to authority, like it's some small level. But I feel like Americans are just the best at that. That's the one thing that we've really got going for us is we absolutely hate authority with everything that we've got going on in our being. We question it all the time. We're opposed to it all the time. I mean, it seems to me that it has to be one reason why um, we're all self-employed. We want to be, right? Like, oh yeah, I don't want to work for anybody. I won't have anyone tell me when to show up for work. I want to be able to show up for work at 10 a.m., 11 a.m., noon, whatever. I'm going to work till 2 three, four, four days a week, and that's full-time. I don't want anyone telling me something different than that. Um, I don't want to, like, this got to be the reason why uh, people don't, like, like, respect doctors anymore in the same way. I don't trust the doctor. I go in with my own diagnosis to the doctor, and I'm ready to tell him or her, here's what I think I have. I looked it up on WebMD. If you don't confirm this, I'll think you don't know what you're talking about and go to someone else, right? That's what we all do. Because we don't like authority, I think it's the same reason why we prefer fake news over real news. 
is uh, we don't like, we don't trust the, 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 the so-called journalists who saw it their own selves. We'd rather find someone who already agrees with us. We buy into conspiracy theories all the time because we don't trust the people who say that they know. It's one reason, right? There's other good reasons that we have. I feel like that's going on in our culture a lot because we have a very, very little trust and authority. We question it all the time, and it wreaks havoc on us. And I, I have this a personal opinion that d- democracy can't survive when no one wants to be led by anyone. When no one will submit to anyone, democracy is just doomed, right? But you know what can survive? Anxiety, anger, pride, fear, worry, weariness, doubt, division. All of those can flourish in a culture where we don't submit to anyone, where we don't trust any authority. Do you believe that? I've seen that. At least that's been my personal experience. I feel like every one of us says all the time, I want to be my own boss. I'm going to push away all authority all the time. And what we do is we push all this authority away, and what we're left with is problems we can't handle by ourselves. We push all the experts away, and then we're stuck with no one who can help us. That's a disastrous situation to be in, right? That's a troubling situation. You can imagine just the demise of our culture going on because we will not trust authority at a core level. We're going to have all kinds of problems flourishing. I have good news. Hopefully you know what the good news is. There is someone who is actually able to help you. There is someone who is an authority figure that you can trust, someone who you could put your life into who won't ruin your life. Right? That's, I think that's the, the core fear that we all have is if we trust someone, if we trust an authority, they're going to ruin our lives. Right? They're going to tell us when we have to go to work. They're going to tell us what to do. They're going to ruin these things. There is someone out there. There is a boss who, if you submit to him, he can make your life flourish. Obviously, his name is Jesus. That's why you show up on Sundays, right? So we're in Matthew 11. I'm going to read Matthew, a little portion of Matthew 11, the part I'm going to teach on, not the part that I was supposed to teach on. Uh, Matthew 11. Now, Jesus has been going through, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus describes himself. Um, he, just, he teaches a lot. But his teaching is not primarily teaching about ethics. It's not primarily teaching about the right way to live. It's primarily about who he is. That's the, that's the main message. Now, he obviously cares about the way that you live, and he cares deeply about the right way to live, but primarily he's trying to communicate, here's who I am to you. And in the midst of Matthew 11, he is going to say some things that eventually got him killed. He was not the most popular teacher. People really didn't like a lot of the things that he had to say. And primarily the things that they didn't like about him were the claims that he made about himself. The ethics people could more or less get along with, but it was his identity that grieved people, that angered people and got them mad. I actually wouldn't be surprised if while I'm reading it and explaining it to you, you got mad at me as I read this. Because it's just so counter-American culture, it's painful. So, we're in Matthew 11, and I'm going to read verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. I thank you, Father, 
Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. That's the first thing he says. Now, that's kind of a shot in the dark, kind of a a word out of nowhere. But I'll have you know, this is a very, very unexpected thing for Jesus to say. The previous couple of paragraphs that I was supposed to teach on, the last paragraph that I was supposed to teach on, is Jesus going through different towns. He goes through Chorazim. He goes through Capernaum. He goes through Bethsaida, these, these villages all around town. And he does hundreds of miracles crazy amounts of miracles. There's like, you know, there's about a thousand people in each one of these villages. And he, it says he healed every single person who came to him. They didn't have modern medicine back then. He was a traveling hospital. And, and there were lines out the door, right? The lines were worse than any hospital you've been to in Ventura, right? They were just out the door because they, he was the only hope they had to get healed. And they would line up and he'd one after another, touch them and heal them, touch them and heal them, touch them and heal them. And you know what they did in response? Walked away. They walked away and didn't embrace him at all. I don't know if you've ever heard this as, as a response to God or belief in God. People say all the time, why doesn't God just show himself? Why doesn't he just do a miracle? Then we'd all believe. Why doesn't he make it obvious? You know what Jesus would say in response to that? One thing he'd say is, I did that. It didn't work. I showed Everybody miracles all the time. Now, God does do plenty of miracles. He shows off all the time. But I can tell you from first-time experience, people can get healed and see miracles and not do anything about it. Now, Jesus experiences this. He goes into three different towns. They all reject him. And then he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. He's talking about, you have hidden my identity to these people, and they didn't respond to me, and I thank you for that. How many of you would expect Jesus to say that? To thank God for hiding himself from some people. I think that's, I think that's kind of unexpected. I think most of us would expect Jesus to, to cry, to be sad, to say, oh God, won't you please open their hearts? Won't you open their hearts? But instead he says, God, I thank you. Now, if I were preaching on this previous chapter, this previous paragraph, what I would say to you right now is there are actually sins that are a bigger deal than than we think, that we don't even notice at all. A lot of people will say to me, they'll say, hey, I'm a good person. I haven't murdered anyone. And I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a real high standard you hold for morality, right? That's a real high standard. Now, these cities that Jesus is talking about, they were notorious Cities. They were notoriously bad cities. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. He talks about Tyre and Sidon. These were the worst of the worst cities in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, these guys, they would have totally responded the right way. The worst of the worst sin is not what they've done. The worst of the worst sin is a, sinful, is a prideful heart that refuses to embrace Jesus when he comes along. That's the biggest deal to Jesus. Someone who has so much pride that they would say, no, I reject it. And that's what, he's, what Jesus is talking about in verse 25. He says, I thank you, God, that you didn't reveal yourself, that you hid yourself from the wise and the understanding, and you revealed yourself to little children. He doesn't primarily think about intelligence. He's thinking about the heart of these people. And he's saying, you hid yourself from prideful people. No miracle will convince you if you're convinced you know everything. And that's where these people were at. 
They thought they knew everything. They thought they had it all together. They thought that they had dialed it all in. Jesus was doing countless miracles in front of their eyes, and they were like, no, I can't change for that. And Jesus is like, thank you, God. You didn't reveal yourself to these prideful people. even through You didn't allow them to see it, but you did allow children to see it. And not just people under 10 years old. You allowed people with childlike dependency, people with a hunger, people with humility, people who know they have needs. Jesus is using the image of a child to to show you what it's like to be the kind of person who knows and is not embarrassed by the fact that they've got needs. Children are not the kind of people who say, no gods, no masters, I won't be ruled by anyone, I won't be helped by anyone. They're not the kind of people who have so much pride they can't be helped. In fact, they, they don't even know that category. They're like, I need help, there's no option. They're oblivious to the fact that they are helped nonstop, every day, all day. They're clueless about that. They're not embarrassed by it. And he was saying, Jesus is saying to us, if you're that kind of a person who, if you know at your core that you need help, you won't, you won't reject Jesus when he does a miracle. You'll just be like, oh my gosh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I needed that. I need more. Don't just help my eyes, help my feet, help my ears, help my lungs, help my everything. Give me a job, give me a spouse, give me kids. I need everything from you. I'm needy and I'm not ashamed of that. Jesus is not celebrating the fact that God hid himself from some people. He's celebrating the fact that he's, he's like, God, you revealed yourself to humble people, and those are the kinds of people that I love. Jesus is saying, I love being around people who are humble. Bring them in. Thank you, God. I like to say that what makes heaven, heaven, apart from the glory of God and all that majesty and stuff like that, what makes heaven and heaven in terms of the people is that we're all going to be humble people. And we will love forever being around humble people. We would be annoyed to death if we were around prideful people forever. We would call that hell, right? right. That's one reason why Jesus wants to embrace people who are humble, who know they're needy, who are dependent. And he says, you can, you can be like that. You can be a little child and receive me. All right. So he goes on. You guys all right? Okay. You're so quiet. I preached at a Pentecostal church two weeks ago. It was the most awkward experience of my life because they were just cheering the whole time. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. All right, I lost my train of thought a whole, I was like, what's my next point? Would you quiet down for a minute? It was great. Uh, All right, this is God's gracious will. Because he reveals himself to some people, this is God's gracious will. And he loves it. Now, some of you, um, as you read verses like that, you know, God hides himself. He doesn't reveal himself to everybody. You are um, you already mad at me for saying that, just for reading that verse, because you're like, gosh, you know, where's my freedom? You know, if it's up to God, then where's my freedom? And you get all conflicted about it. You guys feel that sometimes? You read verses like this and you're like, that doesn't seem fair. How could that be a gracious God who hides himself from some people and reveals himself to others? You've, you've debated that before, right? You felt like the predestination, free will kind of thing, God's sovereignty, human responsibility. You felt that before? Now, I have, um, I have been reading theology my, my whole adult life, and I have heard of many different ways of approaching this question. And I just have three quick responses for you. When you, when you encounter verses like this, uh, three quick responses. Number one, first, we need, to, we need to recognize the deficiency, the weaknesses of our own culture. 
our culture assumes that there is a scientifically certifiable answer to everything, and we are bummed if we don't find that out. We are mad if we don't get that out. We want certainty on everything, right? Now, that's a ridiculous assumption. That's a ridiculous thing to to try for on pretty much anything. Even scientists don't go for certainty. They go for approximations, right? Otherwise, they would stop doing science. They'd be like, we can figure out the answer, right? They're moving forward, and then they're testing their hypotheses all the time. We need to realize that. Now, people in Jesus' day, ancient people, and most other cultures who have been non-Western, kind of love mystery. They're like, yeah, we know, we know life's more complicated than certainty. We know that. We know that, there's, that, that we can get close. We can get real knowledge, but, but we can't like, figure everything out with scientific precision. And sometimes when we, when we embrace questions that are difficult, we can say, yeah, I just got to rest in the fact that, that life is complicated. It's mysterious. That's, that's one response. The second one is they, they would embrace a paradox, Paradox. Now you, that's a big word. Uh, paradox. Paradox is when two things, two different things, seem like they don't go together when they actually do. And they're more beautiful together than they are apart. Like your marriage, right? Is that what you're thinking? There are two people, <laughs> two people who don't go together, but they, they fit better. I, uh, bacon, donuts. Do those go together? If they do, they do. They are a glorious union, aren't they? doesn't seem like it would work, but it does. It does. Believe me, it does. Now, that's a paradox, isn't it? This morning when I said that, I said I'd like a pair of donuts, right? I mean, come on. Um, Wouldn't that be better than a paradox? Get it? All right. Now, a paradox. Now, this, Jesus is is totally fine. In in the fact that, uh, in embracing this mystery and enjoying mystery, he's totally fine with a paradox. Two things that seem like they don't work, but they actually do work, and they make something more glorious, a bacon donut. He's saying these things can fit together. In the, parag- in the verse that we just read, it sounds like it's 100% God. God, you hid yourself. You did not let them see you. You let other people see you. It's all 100% you. But in the verses before, the paragraph before this, it's like these people are 100% responsible. I showed up. I did miracles. They did nothing about it. It's all on them. And then at the end of the paragraph we're going we're gonna to read, he'll say, come to me, come to me. Come to me as if it's all on us. He's like, yeah, I'm 100% God, 100% you're totally responsible. Deal with it. It's tension. And Jesus doesn't have any obligation, doesn't feel any obligation, doesn't seem to resolve the tension. Instead, he just lets the tension exist and he's like, deal with it. The reason why is he's, he's actually smarter than us. He's much, much smarter than Western culture, which would prefer an answer. He's not trying to give us the the perfect, easy answer because he's trying to get a response out of us and he wants each person to respond in the right way. So he leaves the tension so that we'll respond. What he wants to have happen is he wants you to feel that, that responsibility so that if you don't currently believe in Jesus, you would just respond. You'd be like, oh, I love him. He sounds cool. I like him. I'm gonna respond to him. You'd respond in that way by believing in him. But if you already believe in him, you'd look back at the start, the beginnings of your faith, and you would thank him. And you'd be like, man, it's all you, God. Thank you. I I wouldn't have done that on my own. Thank you. So he leaves that tension in there so that the response would come from us that is the response that he wants us to give. That's a beautiful thing. That's, That's wise, right? That's really smart. 
and it helps us to praise him, I believe. All right. As if talking about predestination and free will wasn't controversial enough in one sermon. Let's go to the second one. The next verse is even more controversial. Here we go. All things have been handed over to me. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's not the kind of verse that I go blasting on my stereo as I like, drive down my street in Los Angeles. It doesn't, doesn't get me any uh, brownie points with my neighbors. It doesn't go over super well, right? All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Jesus is making a declaration about himself that should clear up any confusion that we have over who he is. He will not allow you to believe that he's just a good teacher. Because a good teacher who says all things belong to me is no longer a good teacher. Right? I know everything. I've got questions now as your student. If you are crazy, right? If you, know, if you claim to know everything. He's saying all things have been given to me. God gave me all authority, all power, all knowledge, all wisdom, all rights, all privilege, all glory, all majesty, all holiness. It all belongs to me. That's amazing, isn't it? Now just to pause for a moment. If you have been trusting yourself, if you've been a self-employed kind of a person handling life on your own, right now is the time to switch that and to say, he has all authority. He has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. Why am I trying to work for myself? Why would I trust myself to get through life instead of just saying, you take it. You're way smarter than I am, right? I give my money to a money manager because he's smarter than I am with money. I trust a college professor to teach me things about history. I don't know. I'm going to entrust my life to someone who watches billions of lives and knows every detail. He has seen, whatever scenario you're in right now, he has seen literally millions of times. He knows how it's going to work out. Even if he didn't know the future, he could say, well, after a million uh, trials of that, here's how it works out. But he doesn't know the future, so that, that works out well, right? He knows your situation. You can trust him. Why trust yourself? Why rely upon yourself, right? Now, what, what he specifically has in mind, as he says, all things have been handed over to me, he specifically is thinking of knowledge about God. And he's saying, I have this one special privilege that, that no one else in human history has quite had, which is I get to tell people what God's really like. What he means, and this is obviously very counter Ventura, very counter Ventura County, it's very counter LA where I live, it's very counter all of us. He's saying, if you want to know God, you have to go through me. If you want to know what he's like, you have to ask me. If you want to know what God's like, you have to look at Jesus. That's a big deal, right? It's a huge claim. It's not the kind of claim a normal teacher makes, but if that teacher happens to be God, he has to say it. Otherwise, he's hiding again. He's not letting you know the truth. He wants you to know the truth. Hey, come. Here's who, it, here's who I am. I'm actually God, and I, I own everything. I'm in charge of everything. I know everything. Come to me. It's a huge deal, right? 
This is something, Jesus gives us, his people, an inheritance that we cannot deny, that we need to take full advantage of. Jesus says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. Jesus, if you believe in him, Jesus has chosen to reveal the Father to you, and that is a special privilege. That's unique. Not everybody gets that. If you've been a Christian for a while, that may have become normal to you. That's not normal. Most people don't get it. Most people don't understand God as Father. Most people don't understand that the real God believes in justice and he's going to bring it. Most people don't understand how wise God is. Most people don't understand the Trinity and how love is at the heart of the character of God and human nature that he wants that for us. No, most people don't understand that God has created the church in order to bring a blessing to the world. Most people don't know that. They don't know how to define sin. They don't know how to define community. They don't know any of those things that God has privileged you with knowing. That's a gift. Throughout the Old Testament, God would give inheritances, and he often would give people inheritances of land or of homes. But the most special people, the Levites, he said, I'm your inheritance. Better than all the land you could ever want. Better than the beach house in Ventura that Steve's looking at right now. Better than any of that stuff, right? You're not, you don't want that anymore, do you? You have God. You don't need a beach house, Steve. Get over it. All right. You don't need that, right? It's way better than any of those things to know God. That's, that's the inheritance is to have a relationship with him. And the reason is, if you get that beach house, Steve, you're going to have to take care of it. And that salt water is going to ruin the windows, going to ruin the walls. You have to take care of it. Or you get that nice new car, a gift, you have to take care of it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make you mad that it breaks down. But a relationship with God carries you through the ups and downs of life so that it becomes an inheritance that you're like, yes, this is still good. This still works. Regardless of my circumstances, that gift that God's giving me actually helps me. It continues to help me, doesn't it? I, I do a lot of counseling and, and, and um, like conversing with high school students right now. I'm a high school teacher. And I just all the time walk away from conversations saying to myself, I wish that that kid knew. And then I just fill in the blank with some attribute of God or some theological thing that all of us in this church know. I wish that they knew that. I was talking to a kid this past week, and he, um, he's just not going anywhere. Just so unmotivated, just kind of loafing through life, just kind of floating around. And the reason is pretty obvious. His parents kind of um, just didn't approve of him, didn't really encourage him in any way, weren't really around ever. He's just kind of, he's kind of flat. And I just, I walked away from that conversation just, thinking, if I wish that he knew that God is his father and loves him and wants to speak life into him. I wish that he knew that there was a church of people who are here for him and want to build him up. If he had those things, he would have guts and he'd have drive and he'd be able to move forward and do something better with his life than what he's currently doing. I wish he knew that. We have been given a privilege as, as believers, we've been given this privilege of knowing God, and unfortunately, most of us leave the present under the tree still wrapped. We don't go after him. We don't pursue, we don't try to get to know him more and more. These are gifts that God's saying, hey, open it up, take a look at it. And we're like, ah, I don't know. Most people don't want it. Most people don't want to know God better. Even people in the church. I mean, people outside the church, I get it. I get why they don't want to know God better. 
Because if, if they know God better, they're going to have to do something about it. And that's not what they want to do, right? But I realize that he's in charge. That means I have to submit to him. And then he's going to change everything. I'm going to have to break up with this person. I'm going to have to move here. I'm going to do this. I don't want that, right? Unfortunately, people in the church are the same way. That all the time, I'm, I'm talking to people, hearing stories of people being like, yeah, I don't want to read my Bible because every time I read it, I feel bad about what I'm doing. Like that's the reason to read it, that you're hurting yourself. That's the feeling of badness is hurting you. And he's just making you aware of it, right? You need to open it up and read it more and then take the action that you feel like you should be taking, right? Oh gosh, if I, but I don't want to join a community group because when I do that, then they all point out that I should be breaking up with this person who's ruining my life. But I love them so much. I love her so much. Yeah, they're ruining your life, though. Remember that part of the sentence? Get rid of that person, right? <laughs> I love this story. So I, I, uh, maybe this is more prevalent where I live. than I have no idea. But one of my friends was dating this girl, and she was on church leadership. And um, my friend was talking to her a few months and, and found out that she didn't own a Bible. She's on church leadership, doesn't know about it. She's like, oh, I got it on my phone. He's like, ah, it's not going to do. It's not going to do. So he buys her a Bible. He's trying to figure out if he should date her or not. He buys her his Bible, and, she's, and he puts it on her desk. And a week goes by, and he comes back, and he sees it. And it's right in the same spot on the desk. And he's like, huh, a whole week went by, and that thing didn't move at all. I wonder if she just put it right back in the exact same spot. So he, he tweaked it. Like, he just turned it, like, an inch. This is the move right here. Turns it an inch, goes away, comes back a week later, and it's in the same spot. And he's like, aha, right? And he finds out she didn't touch the thing for two weeks. And he cut it off, right? I don't need, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want that because there, doesn't, she doesn't want conviction in her life. There are other things going on that, that prove that. This is yeah, exactly, right? She hasn't gotten it. Part of, yeah, exactly. She hasn't re, he hasn't revealed it. And exactly. You're right. Exactly. And part of her issue was that she was too prideful. She didn't even want to hear it. You want to listen, right? It does, doesn't it? Oh. Yeah, I agree. The reason why people don't want to believe, one, one reason why people don't want to believe in God is they feel like he'll ruin their life. They feel like their life is going to be harder if they believe in God rather than being better. And look at the way Jesus responds. Come to me, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Laden means you've got a load on you, right? You've got a load bearing down your back. If you're carrying a heavy load, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me. You have been trusting yourself. Come to me. If you've been working on your own, if you've been a self-employed type person, if you have been living a lifestyle of saying, I'm going to figure out my life on my own. I don't need anybody telling me what to do all the time. You've been living that. Probably the result is you've got plenty of anxiety going on, plenty of anger, plenty of fear, plenty of doubts, and you're left alone with your problems, and that's hard for you. And Jesus says, that's not what I want for you. Come to me, and I can relieve you 
of those burdens. I can help you with the problems that are in your life. I have the ability to do that. I had the brains to do it. I had the power to do it. I had the financial resources to do it. I had the community to do it. I have all the things that you need to help you deal with the problems that you've got going on in your life. Come to me. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. So now that's not the way that we talk these days. Um, I was, uh, yoke is uh, the harness that a cow wears. You've never seen a cow, have you? Uh, the cows are these big animals and they pull things. So anyway, it's the thing that you put around a cow so that they can pull the, pull the plow, right? Make it easy like before they had tractors. They had harnesses that yokes had to put on. And this is a way that, that Jesus would talk about basically put, your, put him into your life in such a way that he pulls you through life, right? Um, the, way that, the way that rabbis used, they talked about the law and they would say, look, let the law come into your life and be the thing that leads you, the thing that guides you through life. And this is a, a an uh, incredibly controversial thing for Jesus to say because this was God's thing. God, God, it was God's yoke. No, one, no rabbi said, hey, put my yoke upon you because that was too much. Only God said that. Jesus right here, he would have been blowing away all the religious leaders. They'd be like, oh, don't you say that about yourself right now because he's claiming to be God. Right? That's, that's a huge thing. But what, what does it mean to take yoke? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. To, to be yoked to Jesus is to allow him to lead you as he teaches you. You get led in life through his teaching. I've already mentioned two controversial things. I might as well open a third. Crack. Here we go. Um, we are, we are uh, just facing calamity right now, I think, in the church in America and in the, in the larger church. And the reason, I believe, is that we have not yoked ourselves to Jesus. We have not been learning from him. We have been learning from our preferred media. Half of the church seems to be yoked right now, teach, learning from Fox News and Breitbart. The other half seems to be learning from CNN, MSNBC, and NPR. And we're at each other's throats right now because we're yoked to these people. And they are doing the majority of our discipling. That is, that is really causing a lot of havoc inside of our churches. Why would that be, pro- why would it be problematic? The, the reason it would be problematic is because both Fox and CNN, both Breitbart and NPR, had the same desire. And that is to provoke in you all the things that will keep you coming back for more, which is anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, and pride. They want you to look condescendingly at the other side. Because that makes you feel better about yourself, and then you keep coming back for more. They want you to be afraid. They want you to be anxious because that keeps you coming back for more. And Jesus says, I don't want any of that stuff for you. I don't want you motivated by pride or fear or anger or resentment or anxiety. I don't, want, I don't worry and weariness upon you. That's not from me. What, what, what do those two sides have in common? What do both the, both the more conservative side and the, and the more progressive liberal side, what do they have in common in the news presentation of them? Pride. They both seem to have rampant pride. At least that's been my observation. And what does Jesus say? I am gentle and lowly. I'm humble in spirit. At his heart, Jesus does not want you to be discipled 
by pride and arrogance, condescension. He doesn't want that for you. That doesn't help anyone, doesn't help you, doesn't help the people that you're around. That's a, that's a huge difference, right? I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in favor of the fact that most of us, if we see something sexual on TV, we change the channel. Or if it's on the internet, we change it. We're like, oh, I don't want any of that in my life. Or nowadays, more people are like, if I see something violent, I change it because I don't want violence influencing me. But for some reason, we're okay being discipled by pride, pride and arrogance all the time. And we don't change the channel very fast. And yet, in this paragraph right before the one we're reading, Jesus is like, look, pride is actually right up there with pretty much all the worst sins in all of humankind. It's terrible. And it ruins us. Exactly. And that, that blinds us to wanting more, right? Because we, we, my pride makes me think I don't need them. Right? That's terrible. That's terrible. Why would we yoke ourselves? Why would we allow ourselves to be discipled by either side if the majority of what they're, they're giving to us comes from a heart that is ultimately opposed to what Jesus has for us, which is a heart of humility, a heart of coming together, a heart of just desire for unity and, and growth and things like that. That's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to humble ourselves. Now, I'm all... I'm, I'm all in favor. Feel free to watch the news. But what I would prefer is that you watch the news from a Christian perspective rather than from a political perspective. That's, that's been the hardest thing for me. This is, this is the biggest challenge for me. If I'm watching the news, I need to be extremely on my guard to discern what's being told to me. Does Jesus agree with what, what's being said right now? Does he agree with the context? Does he agree with the tone? Does he agree with the heart behind this? Does he agree with the goals of what's going on right here? And I need to be filtering it through. And to be honest, when I tend to agree with what they're saying, I feel like I need to be even more on guard because I feel like I could easily get shifted from something I believe because I can see it in Scripture to something that's kind of close to but not right to something that's actually anti. And I need to be on my guard so that I'm being trained up in Jesus, not in what, the, what this media outlet is trying to communicate to me. Now, I've seen it, I, I mean, I see it, I, oh, oh gosh, on both sides. Trust me, it's very, very much on both sides. And both sides have the same exact problem. They think that they are right, and the other people must be the biggest idiots in the world. That seems to be the common feeling on both sides. And I mean, honestly, you talk to some people, and you're like, wow, those people are the dumbest dummies in the dumb universe that they live in. And then you're, oh, those people are actually the dumbest dummies of all time, you know. And, and there's no coming together. The church needs to lead the way in being the kind of people who are humble enough to be above chaos of anxiety, fear-mongering, things like that, so that we can love one another really well. That's what we need to, I, I believe, we need to be pursuing. All right, I'm, that's mostly the last controversial thing I'll say. Um, what Jesus is calling for in this is a worldview transformation. He is saying, I want you to be transformed in every detail of your life by me. You have been discipled by all kinds of things. You've been discipled by media. You've been discipled by the culture that you live in, the work that you work in, the people that you're around, the schools that you've gone to. 
all of those things have been discipling you, training you, giving you shape to every opinion and viewpoint that you have. And Jesus says we need to redo all of that pretty much. We just start over, rebuild, reboot. Let's get everything into alignment with what's in this book and what's been revealed about who God is, the character of God. Let's get everything in alignment with that because only that is going to be able to give you the life and peace that Jesus promises. We need it all. How are you going to get that? Well, he's going to give us rest if we immerse ourselves in him. We build that relationship with him deeply, right? Now, if you're watching, the average American watches four hours of TV a day. If you're watching four hours of TV and you're reading the Bible for five minutes every other day, who's going to win? Yeah, it's pretty, I mean, it's fairly clear, right? The Bible is super potent, but man, if you've got eight hours compared to five minutes, that's going to be hard, right? The average American spends another two hours a day on the internet. That's six hours a day. That's hard, right? Now, if you're spending 40 hours a week in your workplace or at your school surrounded by people who disagree with your viewpoints, have a different worldview, and then you go to community group once every couple weeks for an hour, who's going to be more influential in your life? most likely it's going to be that local place, right? That, that workplace, that school place that you're at all the time. What we need to do is be avid, just hardcore, just super hungry to grow in the word all the time, just surrounding ourselves, commuting, all of our community. We're listening to things, building ourselves up, being super committed to our community groups, getting into DNA groups. If you guys do, those are smaller, small groups of discipleship. If you do that, great. You need to be immersing yourselves in these things so that you can be building up an entire worldview that's trained on this and relearning all the things that you have been taught by so many other influences. That's what Jesus said. Jesus doesn't say you get peace just because you decided to commit to Jesus one day. Peace comes through building your relationship with him and you build your relationship with time and investment and commitment. And he'll give you some peaks, and he'll take you up in some experiences, but you need that longevity and that perseverance to keep you going. That's what I want for you. Um, I'll give you one example of that. My wife, she's not here, so you, you, it's, you missed out. She's a great lady. Um, you know, we've got, we've got four little kids, and we live in one bedroom, and I don't make enough money to pay our bills, and, you know, we live in trafficy places, tons of smog, et cetera, et cetera. It should be terrible. And... Every day when she takes the kids to school, she's got, you know, pushing like the whole train of kids and the you know, stroller's bigger than she is and all that kind of stuff. And, and everyone always is like, man, like how? Like how are you doing that? Like how are you peaceful? How do you have joy? And she'll say to them, oh, it's all the Lord. And that's not just something she's saying. That's a real lifestyle. She wakes up in the morning. She's on her knees praying. She's in the word. She's there for, you know, 30 minutes or an hour, whatever she's able to do. She's listening to podcasts of good preaching all the time. You've got worship music playing all the time. She's got mentors in her life. She's mentoring other people. She is surrounding herself. And she's been doing this since she was four years old. And so she's been doing it, you know, for a good 20 plus years. And uh, it's been an amazingly consistent journey. So now she can face very serious difficulties and have peace. That's what Jesus wants for you. He wants, he wants you to embrace him with a commitment that will result in peace because you've hitched up to him. 
That's what I want for you too. I know that's what Bert and Steve want for you, right? We want you to commit that way. So let's, um, let's respond together. Let's respond together. Let's, why don't you guys come back up? Um, one, of the ways, one, of the, one of the ways that we just commit ourselves and we find that peace that we're looking for is we just reflect who Jesus is back to him. We remind ourselves through song, Jesus, here's what you're like. Here's what you're like. I'm reminded of this truth. I'm reminded of this truth. I'm reminding the people who are around me of these true things about who you are so that we can be built up together. All right? We also receive prayer. It's a way of saying, look, I'm needy. I know I'm needy. Praise you, God, that I'm needy. Thank you. I'm happy to be needy. Great. We take communion together. We, remi- we, go, we go to a communion table to remind ourselves that the God that we worshipped was so humble, he died. We enjoy and embrace humility. That's something we do all the time. And we give, we give to say, God, I'm just giving into what you're doing. I'm happy about what you're doing. I'm sacrificing to do what you're doing. All right, let's stand up. Let's, I want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who knows how to take care of our lives, who knows how to help us through trials and difficulties. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you're so much smarter than us, that you have financial resources we don't have, you have um, access to work that we don't have, you have access to community that we can't even see, people skills, you are the head of human resources. You know, you have everything in control. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, for those of us who have been trusting ourselves, I ask that you would give us faith to break free from that and to place our lives into your hands. Lord, for those of us who have been discipled by something other than you, I ask that you would break that and that we would give more time and attention to you than anything else. We would trust you. We would seek you out more than we seek anything else out. Lord, would you continue to speak to us and build up our faith so that we might run to you more easily and find the rest that you say and promise we can have. We trust you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.